0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Bailey There podcast. Um, so I did make a little bit of a teaser on the Twitter account this week about what came in the mail straight from 1978. The Garfield Chicago Bears mug, the only like one of the only pieces of Garfield merch I could find surrounding around the Chicago Bears. He's even carrying a little hot dog, probably about the size of Lucas right there. I'll be back um, in
1: three seconds, Duke. Hold on.
0: <laughs> Lucas is going to get his mug too. Anyway, um, while he's gone, this is the Barely There podcast. I'm Duke Coughlin. You can follow me at that pod guy Duke on Twitter. I'm with Lucas Profetti when he comes back. He could you can follow him on Twitter at LucasFreddy46. Um, also follow us at Barely There Pod on Twitter. We're also live on YouTube if you want to be involved in the conversation. And Lucas shows up with the same Garfield mug, just because we are just total, complete, and utter jagoffs.
1: See, I'm starting to think that um, Garfield's more of a compliment more than anything now. Like, the more I've looked into it, that does smell like 1970-something. Like, when I got it in, the inside of that cup smells like the inside of an old person's house.
0: Oh, dude, mine smells like the inside of a fucking ashtray. Like, there's there's some, like, black in there. Why yeah,
1: not? <laughs> no, mine's definitely worn out. I don't know if I'll ever actually drink a beverage from it. Um but also just an elite purchase. It's a great thing to have. I I had it right there on the kitchen counter. I need to keep it in the office permanently to go with the decor. Um been working on it, you know. Yeah, no, I did, I dude.
0: Mean, no, hundred percent, dude. Just God, the old <laughs> this is just the easiest twenty dollars I ever spent. Like the best fucking investment I've ever made for this podcast.
1: I've spent twenty dollars on a lot, lot worse.
0: Yeah, no, hundred percent. Um, but yeah, dude, honestly, it's looking like Garfield just might be our mascot at this point. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to hit up like Viacom and all that. Maybe get a, maybe get a deal brewing
1: together. Or just like an edit with us two and Garfield, like an animate an animation edit as our as our one of our logos. That would be pretty dope too. We should see if
0: uh, they like have like a Garfield live action show, like with a dude in a Garfield suit. We just go pose with fucking pictures of <laughs> <with> that guy. <laughs> That'd be great. Then we like we like dress up like we dress up your dog as like fucking Bane to show like the size difference between Bane and Garfield. We're just big Garfield guys now. Oh
1: uh, yeah, that'd be incredible.
0: Um anyway, back, back on task. Now that we got that out of the way, trust me, me and Lucas have been dying to fucking tell you about our wonderful Garfield mugs um that were created while Walter Payton was still in the league.
1: Um actually created, I think, during his best season, if I'm not mistaken. 1978. Was that his MVP year? I want to say um,
0: – I think it was 77 or 78, one of the
1: two. Yeah, it was definitely around that time.
0: Either so, way. I mean, yeah, I mean, dude, Garfield could have been a big Walter Payton guy, and for that we thank Garfield um, just for pleasuring us with his uh, existence on this fucking I'm a Bears fanatic mug. Um, uh, but anyway, kind of <laughs> – because we have already flown off the rails in the first five minutes here. No, you're
1: right. Um, 1977. Damn. MVP. Close. That would have even been
0: more clutch. Uh but anyway, um so over the past week uh we've had uh Bears Minicamp just kind of rolling on through. Um we just got a new 1920 uh Bears Avenue or whatever that uh 1920 football
1: drive. I didn't even yeah. know that was uh that was coming back up.
0: Yeah, that just dropped today. Um gave that a watch before we came on here. Some really cool stuff about uh Kyler Gordon, Jaquan Brisker, kind of the uh, pro days and whatnot. Um, but yeah, you know minicamp it's uh it's been kind of a process and there's been a couple situations where we've run into already that it's uh kind of been the blimp on the radar like whereas fans are surprised of who's on the field at what times uh more specifically, you know in recent history, it would be Tevin Jenkins at right tackle and Larry Borm at left tackle and uh probably the hottest one right off the presses has to be uh, Kindleville door playing with the number one uh, secondary on the field. Lucas,
1: I know you uh, made a tweet about that. How are you feeling about that? Um. Well, I mean, to preface it for everyone that didn't hear the press conferences, Iberflus did say don't read much into it. And it's a, um, what do you call it? More of a conditioning thing. But if it really is a conditioning thing, I'm all for it. Like we've talked about this before. We've talked about essentially – how this team has been underachievers, you know, like the culture that was set was underachieve. Your spot is your spot. No one's gonna take it. Um, and, and that doesn't drive competition. So if your starting corner, who was your number one corner last year, we actually had a pretty damn good season. Um, and I think it'd be argued to be a definitely a top 15 guy, and maybe you could argue him into the top 10 if he has another really good season. So to have him after trading Khalil Mack. Saying, ah, yeah, you know what? You're not in shape or camp. I'm going to have Kindle play with the ones. Like, that's right there. You're putting every, motherfucking, every motherfucker on notice. Like, everyone is on notice. And I love that aspect of what's going on right now. Because I'm just tired of seeing dudes that didn't play hard. You know? Like, it, it was infectious. You only you noticed Dave Montgomery and Roquan Smith all last year just because of the amount of effort they put in on the field. It was, it was evident every single play. So, I love – I mean, dude – the more the merrier. It, like I am not emotionally attached to anyone on this team. There's no one on this team that I'm truthfully emotionally attached to. There's guys that I like. There's guys I'd be sorry to see go. But at the end of the day, like it's about the Chicago Bears getting better. Um, and, and we'll, whoever is going to be the best person in that spot and Iberflus's eyes is, is what we got to roll with.
0: Yeah, you know, and I think Iberflus touched on a couple interesting things at this press conference. But to kind of touch on this and in, in uh, particular. Um, it just screams accountability. You know, it's holding everybody to a certain standard. Um, maybe not, maybe doing a little bit tongue in cheek, not basically telling Jalen like, Hey, you know, what the hell, why weren't you here? It's more or less like, Hey man, you weren't here for the first week. So, uh, you're not going to be on first team. You know what I mean? It's one of those like, Hey, you got to get your feet under you. You know, these guys have been here day one. They, they showed up the second we opened the building and you did you weren't here, you know? I mean, it's not something that I feel like it's going to be held held against him like in the long run, but it's going to be more or less like Jalen prove why you belong with the ones, you know what I mean? Just show us. Cause this is our first time seeing you and um, you think there would be a little bit more motivation towards, you know, having your head coach get a good glance at you day one from the very, very start. Like um, I know there was a lot of people that were jumping down Eddie Jackson's throat just for missing the first day. You know what I mean? And there was actually a pretty legit excuse of why he missed that. First he was day. at like
1: a funeral or something, right?
0: Yeah. It was, uh, I think he might've actually had like a sur- like a dental surgery or something like that. I could yeah. be wrong. Okay. But um, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but it was, it it came out to be a pretty legit excuse and Ibra didn't seem phased about it at all. Whereas like Jalen missing that first week, that's uh, you know, that's, that's a week. That's a week or not there. That's a week or not in the building, you know? And, You know, you can only see so much on film before you actually have to go look at a guy on the field. And I think that's a Matt Averfuss really wants to drive forward. Like, hey, we understand this is voluntary. This isn't mandatory or anything like that. But like we we need guys here. You know, if you want to be here for the long long run, if you want to be here to truly build a winning like a winning team, a winning program, a winning culture, like we need everybody all in. And I think that's why like he's been really complimentary of guys like um, you know Roquan Smith, Dave Montgomery, Justin Fields. Um, he actually did. He's the one thing and that's Gordon really been huge,
1: John. Kyler Gordon, he's been giving a ton of compliments to. Um, yeah,
0: and uh, Jaquan Brisker as well.
1: Yeah. And that's that's one thing. I think there's tension there from earlier because people um, were saying that something something happened where Jalen Johnson, I guess, was getting criticized a little bit um, via practice. And and like some of the some of the reporters noticed that uh, something happened. I can't really remember. It was like a week or two ago in, in the last um, camp practices, but either way, there was kind of some tension there and people were already insinuating like, Oh, he's all over Kyler Gordon. He doesn't really care about Jalen Johnson trade Jalen Johnson. Cause you know, how shit progresses really quickly. Um and, and yeah, I think it's just one of those, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like everyone's being held accountable. And if you're not here for a week, like you're going to work your way back up. We don't care if you're a number one corner for a team that fucking won six games. Like we don't, we do not care. That's pretty much what he's saying. Um, yeah.
0: Well, and I, I think anybody who's really like, you know, because we were just talking about why Jalen should feel the way that he does. But even on the flip side of that, like you want to challenge these guys, especially the guys you know are talented and maybe aren't completely all in yet. You know, I always think of, and it's crazy because of how it all turned out, but I remember Vic Fangio inheriting a young cornerback that he wasn't totally high on. Had, had some questions about his, uh, his motor, about how much he really wanted to play, especially when it came to injuries, and that guy was Kyle Fuller. Kyle Fuller ended up being the prototypical cornerback you want in Vic Fangio's system, even followed Vic Fangio to Denver eventually. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's how that type of stuff is built, especially with defense coordinators. Like they want to challenge these guys. They want to see what the fuck you're made of. They want to see how you respond to criticism, how you respond to adversity. Like every head coach I've ever met in my life loves bring up that point of um, overcoming adversity. And this is a, perfect example right here man Jalen Johnson yeah he's shown a lot his first two seasons in the league you know Lucas I know you're a big fan of him personally I have I have been as well you know what I mean especially what he does against like a Devontae Adams against you know versus the Packers
1: that's like
0: but you want to challenge those guys. You want to try to get the absolute most out of them. And some guys, they need that kick in the ass. And, you know, maybe Jalen, maybe maybe he runs on that shit. You know, maybe he likes that type of attention. Because I don't think that was something we were getting in the locker room last year. And I, I'm hoping it's a change in the right direction.
1: And Fuller just got signed by the Ravens. I'd love to know what the contract is for, too. Because, obviously, a lot of people were just slandering the shit out of the guy when he was having a rough season after being... Uh, cut and, and signed by the Broncos. And he just, I don't even think he was starting towards the end of the year. Um But they had a lot of really good corners over there too. He came into the system late. Maybe there wasn't a ton of buy-in. Maybe there wasn't a ton of motivation. I don't know really what happened, but for the Ravens to sign him, like the Ravens usually have a really stacked DB room. So I'd love to see what they actually gave him and see if he's actually going to make the team and compete for a starting spot or just be like quality better in depth. Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I do think the Ravens run a similar defense to, to the bears. I know they did at least a a long time ago with the connections with Rex Rex Ryan, Chuck Pagano, Vic Fangio, like that, there was a ton of connections there. So I would assume with Harbaugh still being there, they, I'm I'm not going to say they haven't evolved at all, but you know, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you say, I know the exact scheme, but I believe they run a similar scheme to what Fangio likes to run. Um, so I definitely want to see how that progresses because a lot of people were out on Kyle Fuller. Um, and the thing about Jalen is here, here's the I like Jalen. I think he's a quality corner. I don't know if he has the uh, athleticism to be that top tier corner. And I'm not saying you have to be athletic to be a top tier corner, but like I just feel like he has a lot better matchup. Like his matchup against Devontae Adams, he did a great job. Devontae's a great, great receiver. Did a uh, pretty good job, I think, two years ago on Keenan Allen when they played the Chargers. Like he actually like those are the types of receivers he actually does a really good job on because they play the outside, because they're running a lot of um, you, uh, because they're a little bit slower and they're they're usually isolated on one side of, of the formation. You know, so that's he does do well in space. He does. He's a press corner, but I don't think like he's necessarily a perfect fit in Eberflus's system. Um, if that's foreshadowing anything in the future, I do think Kyler Gordon is ex- an exact perfect fit for Matt eberflus's system. And I do like the the pairing of them together. It kind of reminds me of prime Kyle Fuller when Prince came in for those couple years. And like, they played really well. One was their press corner. One was their off corner. Like, I really like what Jalen Johnson and Kyler Gordon could do together. I could see even Kyler coming into the slot a little bit. If to, to, to actually travel with number one receivers that play the slot, like a, you know, I guess Christian Kirk is the number one and what's it called or a Cooper Cup or just one of those types of receivers. You know, if, if they play the Raiders and Hunter Renfro is playing in the slot, that's probably, you know, the, I would like to see Hunter Renfro, or Kyler Gordon on Hunter Renfro and and Jalen Johnson on Devontae Adams. But I've just kind of gone on, off gone on a little tangent either way. Uh, he's a good player, you know, like he's a really good player. And I think people are reading a little bit too much into it, but I like the idea of everyone's got to earn their keep. doesn't matter what your position was last year. Got to earn your keep. Um, and that's how it should be. It's a hundred percent how it should be.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, kind of to your point about moving uh, Kyler Gordon around, I'm really interested to see uh, once we get to training camps, a little bit down the road um, where Thomas Graham fits into the equation. Um, you know, obviously Kendall Door was getting first team reps, you know, this past week. And that's fine. Um, I'm not necessarily totally in on Kendall Door after what I saw last year, but um potentially he could thrive a little bit better in a slot corner role. But I really, really like the upside of a guy like Thomas Graham, and I'd be really interested to see how Iberflus feels about him as well. Um Obviously commented on him a little bit before the draft, but nothing really, um nothing really like kind of, oh, this is my guy or anything like that. So. Yeah. Um, It's going to be interesting to see how a lot of that works out. Um, one thing Iberflus did touch on, I guess this will be the last point Iberflus-wise, and I guess it'll kind of go into what um, Cole Komet was saying, but uh, Iberflus in his past few interviews, anytime he's been asked about Justin Fields, like the number one thing that he brings up is his deep ball.
1: I was. That's exactly what I was gonna say.
0: Very impressed by his deep ball, and for a defensive, uh, lifetime defense coordinator to be talking about a quarterback's deep ball and kind of really glowing about it—that's that's definitely something that uh, pokes in the right direction,
1: and um, it kind of makes that quote was, "Man, that's a pretty deep ball." Yeah, I mean, oh. he's a pretty deep ball or something like that. I mean, we all saw it last year. He was fucking. I mean, you can't deny the arm talent in, in the in the in the deep range. Like sure. You could say he doesn't release the ball fast enough or whatever you want to say about him, but you cannot deny his ability to fit the ball right where it needs to be when he's throwing the ball deep. It's just unbelievable actually.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's like one of the hardest things to get down as an NFL quarterback, it almost feels like you can build in reverse with that because Justin has that you can, you can get him to make the layups, you know what I mean? And that's, that's going to be the biggest step I feel for um, Justin Fields moving forward in his development. But um, kind of jumping into what Cole Komet um, was talking with the media yesterday about, um, one thing that really stuck out to me, it was, I believe he was asked about what's different this year within the offense. And uh, without, without trying to comment too much about the previous culture, the previous head coach, obviously, because I don't think Cole was looking to make a headline, um, two things that he brought up were um, really being physical at the point of attack, from the tight end position, which is kind of a change, whereas, you know, it was a lot of, uh, you know, brush, brush and goes, a lot of, uh, you know, bump and runs type things from the tight end position. And he also talked about um, Justin Fields getting a chance to move around. Like, he, I'm pretty sure he brought that up about three times in his answer. And uh, that really bodes well to anybody who has kind of been under the idea of wanting to run the football and being able to run play action effectively because of being able to effectively run the football. Um, maybe I'm reading a little too much into it, but I really think that's where Cole Komet was kind of going with that because that was something we really didn't get to see really through any of the Nagy area naggy era besides year one was getting the quarterback on the outside and letting him make a throw out there and uh, you know using a power run game using a you know volume run game to try to set up play action down the field. Um, and I think that can really benefit a guy, not only in Justin Fields, but a guy in Cole Komet, you know, moving out there, being able to make a play in space, you know, whether, whether somebody wants to respect the advanced statistics or not, Cole Komet was one of the better tight ends in football last year, creating separation. You know, that's, that's just, that's a fact, um, catching the football and, um, being able to, uh, work himself out of coverage when it's thrown into coverage, you know, being able to kind of battle with a defender, that's going to be the biggest step for Cole Komet moving forward. But overall, like I came away with that interview and he comments about fields feeling really good about the direction of the offense.
1: Yeah. And, and it's funny. Cause that kind of inspires me. You know, they, he, he talked about how he's going to attend tight end you and really focus this off season on aggressive uh, blocking, as you said, ag- aggressive run blocking um, at the point of attack. And, like i'm just looking here at sharp football stats um they have personnel grouping frequency and it's really interesting 90% of the teams are a majority of the time in in 11 personnel you know you're going to have three wide receivers a running back and a tight end um and then you hear about you know you hear 12 21 for anyone that doesn't know this um that's listening it's really just telling you how many running backs in and um tight ends are on the field. So you're going to have your five linemen. If you're running 21 personnel, that's two running backs, one tight end, um, and and however many receivers. You know what I'm saying? So it's just pretty simple. It's, it, that's all it means. So if you're ever confused about people talking about types of personnel, that's literally all it means when it comes to personnel. Concepts, schemes, stuff like that, way more complex. But one of the things that I kind of find interesting is you look at the Rams. They're like a strictly 11 personnel team. Um, The Green Bay Packers, the Cincinnati Bengals, um, Buffalo Bills, 11 personnel team. You think about all those teams, all of those teams have multiple wide receivers or they had a dominant number one wide receiver. Now, when you look at the teams that are running a lot of 12 personnel, who was it? Miami. Um, You look at teams like the Bears actually ran quite a bit of 12 personnel. But then I think the thing that's the most interesting is that San Francisco runs 34% of the time out of a 21, uh, yeah, 21 personnel. So a running back, they're using a fullback and they're using a tight end. Um, I see the bears really being one of those leaders in 21 personnel from everything I've gotten from all the interviews, from everything they're talking about from signing a fullback um, from using uh, tight ends. I think they might even run a lot of 22 personnel and from the lack of signings in the wide receiver department. I just truly think that's what we're going to see. We're going to see a ton of tight ends, fullbacks, uh, and running backs on the field at all times. So if you have a quarterback, if everything's bunched up, and you have a quarterback that runs a fucking 4-3, it's going to cause problems for the defense, because they're either going to have to dedicate guys to the box, or they're going to have to say, listen, we need to account for this run with either a spy, something like that, um, and that's when you can get linebackers to move out of the middle of the field and get layup slants that go to the fucking house. So I, I think people um, when looking at Cole Komet and just the tight ends in general, I, I kind of went off topic here. But that's just it, it inspired me to talk about that because I've been looking at this chart and just in general what the Bears did um, in the last few years. And I, I think that's that's where we're leaning towards um, being a 21 personnel team. I mean, the, the Niners ran at 34 percent of the time, which is fucking absurd. Um, and they only ran 12 personnel, 10% of the time, you know, everyone's going to dominate in 11 because at the end of the day, second and long, third and long, you need receivers on the field. You need to spread the field out. Uh, but I think that's funny. Also the only team to run a, uh, us and who, who else was it us and the New York jets were the only team to run a zero four personnel, which means four tight ends and zero running backs. So thank you, Matt Nagy.
0: Yeah, no, that just shows like how decimated we were on the uh, offensive line.
1: Uh, yeah, I can only imagine the. Yeah, no, that is exactly what it is. It was probably on the goal line, but either way, like give me a fucking break. You don't have a running back in.
0: Yeah, like what? What are you? What are you trying to accomplish on that? But yeah, that uh, that doesn't surprise I me mean, how- at all. Just because we were so desperate to keep Justin Fields on his, uh, not on his back, I guess. Um, but even even like with that statistic, it still kind of seemed like uh, Matt Nagy was leaving him out to dry. Um, you, are going to have to send me those charts. though. I really do want to check that out. That's uh that's some really good information. Um, I, I really like the idea of kind of doing a similar system to what the Niners do, because when you have a quarterback, like the Niners have with say Jimmy Garoppolo, um, getting him into space, using his mobility a little bit and trying to get a uh, more one-on-one matchups with wide receivers, because teams have to load the box against 49ers because of how well they run the football. Um, I think that's an ideal situation for a guy like Justin Fields, at least in like year two of an, you at least in like year two of his development, because getting ideal matchups for a guy like Justin Fields, who can throw the ball effectively down the field and move a lot better than a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, it'll bode really well. You know, I really like the point that you made about, you know, getting a spy and kind of opening up the middle of the field for slant routes. You know, a guy like Byron Pringle comes to mind. That would be perfect for a slant route. You know what I mean? Which just none know. of that stuff.
1: Was everyone- even even
0: your boy even your boy Vellis Jones like that is like the ideal setup in the slot for a guy like that you I know like that. get the ball to a guy with speed when they're so focused on a guy like Justin Fields who has speed on the outside and you have a guy like Darnell Moon he's a legit legit deep threat with his speed as well like that bodes really well for your offense you know people look at it as like a power run type offense and they're like oh this is like 1970 Chicago Bears they're just gonna pound it, you know, up the gut type shit. But it's like, there's a lot of offensive minds in the league doing this type of thing right now. You know, like, dude, even even to another example, look at what Baltimore does with Lamar. Like, they get Lamar ideal matchups because they use his speed to his advantage and they run the hell out of the football. Like, that's something that I see the Chicago Bears doing. I would I'd really like you to send me that.
1: Well, and link. the second, yeah, the second and third most um, used 21 personnel is the Ravens and the Patriots. So mm. you could see it being... One's a fucking pretty much a triple option team. The other's a pro style team, and then the the um, what's it called? The, the the Niners have a very inventive off, offense. So I could see it going any way, but it's just it's interesting how different teams use different personnel groupings to their advantage. Um, and no, I don't think it's going to be twenty two dives all fucking day. Like I, I don't think it's going to be that at all. I think you're going to be able to build a lot more bread and butter plays by running this type of offense and um, execute simple plays. To then set up other plays, you know, it was always a mixed bag with Nagy. It was always just like, okay, we're going to run this, Now we're going to switch out all of our personnel. Like, no, I'm okay with seeing the the exact same personnel throughout an entire drive if you're controlling it. Why would you? Why would you let your fullback go on a first and ten after you've just been averaging four yards a clip and you just, you know, you just converted on a third and four? Like what? Like what do we? Why would you want to fix anything that's not working? You know, personnel changes should not be after every single play, excuse me. And and that's just something that happens that happened far too often. So, you know, one, one thing I want to get to before you jump in is like, there's this trend going on right now. And I get it. You want to compare all the second year quarterbacks, but like, it's so fucking stupid of c- comparing second year quarterbacks um, and who was in the best situation. And it's pretty much all just talking about weapons. First, I don't think a couple of uh, I'm not even going to comment too much on it. I don't think situation I think each situation is different. And the one thing that's very different about Justin Fields situation is that he's the only one that hasn't had someone a- as a constant GM for at least two years. So all those other GMs drafted their quarterback. A lot of them were there well prior to it. Um, I think it was the Jets who promoted someone from within. So he was in the organization for a while. So the vision has already been kind of com- like going for these people. You know, the the Jets could have thought that they were one year away when they drafted Zach Wilson or the – whatever it may be. You know, Trey Lance is in the best situation. I don't think he has the best weapons, but he's by far in the best situation. So, like, to me it makes not a lot of sense to compare these situations. I understand why you want to do it. But my biggest point is, like, weapons are only a part of the situation. The situation itself is more important than your weapons. And I totally understand. Like, I would love a fucking – I would love Julio Jones. I know we got Julio Jones. I would love that type of receiver right now. But I think people are really dismissing how important it is that the situation has changed. And I don't think it could have gotten any worse than last year. I think it's that simple. Like the situation has gotten better for Justin Fields. Allen Robinson didn't do much his last year. Darnell Mooney was the number one last year. So he's the number one this year. You added Pringle. I mean, you, you look at some of these guys, it's like, they have a possibility to get upside. Who else was on the team last year? Like Marquise Goodwin, you know exactly what you're getting from him. You know what you're getting from Demir Bird. It's a lot different when you, hire, or when you get someone like Byron Pringle who fought to get reps and is now ascending. He earned his reps in an offense and then fucking it's hard to get targets in Kansas City when Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are there. He worked his way into that number three role as an undrafted free agent, he's ascending. Whereas like Goodwin's just a guy that you knew was going to stretch the field and run fast. We really don't know the ceiling on this guy. So like chill out with the negativity. I don't think Justin Fields situation is worse. I think it's a better situation. He's going to be in a better offense. And I think he's going to be more fucking productive. Like you've already heard about him being built around and all you're going to, I think we're going to see a lot of fucking deep balls. Cause Maddie, we keeps talking about how great he is at throwing the deep ball. So now you're running from, a 21 or 12 personnel, you got everyone bunched in and you have two person routes, but there's only three DBs in the back. And it's like there's way bigger open holes and he doesn't need that big of open holes, you know. So now you start running nickel, big nickel, trying to prevent from from the passing game. And now it's it's a lighter box. So you're able to get the advantage there. Like I think strategy comes into it so, so often and people are like disregarding that because you're just looking at, OK, who's the player? What was the stats? What's going on?
0: Yeah, so to that point, I'm really glad you kind of brought that back. That was a, that was a really nice little run you went on there, Lucas. I, Thanks, I really really appreciate a lot of the information you gave us there, but I'm glad you brought it back to this point when it comes to scheme. The one thing that I never saw with Matt Nagy was it felt like he never looked at a football game as a chess match, and that's how I've always looked at football. Like It's not about who's on the field. It's not about what you know, what personnel you have or anything like that. It's not about having 10 plays scripted. It's about being able to do something on one play and basically doing it until they can stop you. And then once they finally load up, like, like say you can run the football effectively, say the first three plays you run the football down the gut and you get about 24, 26 yards out of it. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, Oh shit, they're gashing us. We have to bring in more personnel to be able to stop the defense. That's when you jump onto a play action. That's when you jump onto a quick hitting route. That's when you jump onto uh, any other thing. You know what I mean? You don't have this play set in mind. You have this play set in mind if this is how this goes. Like, say you run the ball three times. You get fucking six yards out of it, okay? Then you probably want to maybe adjust what you do from there. It was never like... I, I don't want to see any type of like big scripting. Like I understand first five plays, whatever, if you want to come out of half with a certain mentality or scheme or however you want to do it. But like football is a chess match and these defensive coordinators know that most of these offensive coordinators are going to be coming out there with a script. And um, if they can read it within the first three to four plays, you're probably not going to do much on the first two or three drives. You know, I want I, f- football is such a chess match. And I, I, I keep coming back yeah, to this point, yeah. but it's so fucking true. Like you have to look at it on a play-by-play by, play by play basis. You have to be able to set the tone with what you're doing on offense to set the tone of what the defense is doing against you, and then you go from there. You would need to continue to grow within the game. Otherwise, you're just going to go out there. You're going to toss out random plays that you think are going to work, regardless of what the look is that they give you. You might have a kill call, but it's probably not the call that you're still going to be adjusted to at that point, and you're going to go nowhere, similar to what Matt and Aggie was doing. And I know that probably sounded like
1: rambling nonsense, but I swear to God, like there no, is a point. That's exactly the case. I mean, how many times did he just not like? How many times did the Bears have a big play and he just did not know what to run after it? Like we take a delay a game or have to call a timeout. Like how many times did did uh, a drive get deflated just because he was not ready? And I think you're a hundred percent right. And and the thing too that people aren't realizing is like committing to the run doesn't necessarily mean you have to run the ball 30 times or 20 times even with one running back committing to the run is essentially saying, Hey, listen, I finally got a look. That's great for a pass, but I'm setting them up for when I need a big play. So I'm going to run into their run front. I'm going to, I'm going to tell them, Hey, this is still a threat. So they still keep putting those guys on the field because then it becomes extremely predictable with what you're going to do. And I think that's the biggest, like, like when you, sometimes like people don't realize like that. That run on first and ten for a yard and a half sometimes says a lot. Like does a lot to set up the future. And like when you really look at it from a macro perspective, instead, and I think that's what Nagy's biggest problem was. It was micro. It was always like, okay, these guys are running on the field. Okay, let's send these guys out. This is how we're going to combat it. It's it's not all about personnel. It's about how you use the personnel. How you can shift them. Um, Another thing too. This this offense is just going to feature a lot more motions, which I'm a huge fan of because especially for a young quarterback, it's just the easiest tell, are they in manner in the end zone? You know, like let's, let's have this guy run across the formation to see what they're in. Um So I don't know. We kind of went into a tangent. Should we get back to no, no, no. like, I, I,
0: I like where this has gone. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's another good point too is using motion to be able to see coverages. Like you said, that's really easy for a quarterback. That's a good point. Um But yeah, you kind of elaborated off of what I was trying to say perfectly. Like it's, It's all about being able to set up for the next one, being able to set up for the next one. Like this is why you see teams come out at halftime after just completely dominating on the ground and be able to hit for like an 80 yard play action touchdown right off the bat. Like that's that's how you do that, because you have defensive coordinators on their on their feet, because honestly, the offensive coordinator has a lot tougher of a job than a defensive coordinator. Like, there is a lot less defensive play calls than there are offensive play calls. And a lot of those defensive play calls can cover multiple offensive play calls. So, like, when you can get a defense coordinator on his feet to where he doesn't quite know what you're going to run, like, if you're in I formation and he's still worried about the pass because you've been absolutely gutting him through the air on I formation, then you can gash a fucking 30-yard run with David Montgomery off tackle. You know what I mean? Like, that's the type of setups that you have because they'll stop. They'll hit a point where they'll stop fucking sending out guys to to your formation and they'll just start sending out guys based on what they think you're going to do, even though they honestly have no idea.
1: Yeah. And that's, yeah, I think that's, you're going to love this chart because there's a huge variance in what the Bears ran. Like most team, the Packers here, they ran the entire year. They ran one, two, three, four. Five six five six different personnel groupings bears ran one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen oh my god oh my god man like and in the and the the best thing about offensive strategy is like Matt Nagy thinks or a bad coach is going to think he won because he just completed four passes um and now they just went into uh, they just went into to dime defense and got a bunch of DBs on the field. And the first thing he does is like, you know what? I'm going to get this 10 yard run, and like that's a win. No, like you you keep like it's just it's sometimes it's better to be a dumb football guy. Like sometimes it's just better to just be like, no, we're going to out execute you for a while. You're going to commit to this so hard that when we do burn you, it's going to be for for the kill shot. It's not going to be for uh, uh, a first down. Because that's what our standard is. If we can get a fucking first down and a drive, it's a good drive.
0: Well, I don't even, I don't even think it's like a, a dumb football guy thing. I think it's most a lot of successful off, offensive coordinators can look at the personnel that they have and realize that they can do a lot with that. You know what I mean? It's not okay. We need these guys specifically to run this. You know what I mean? It was. It kind of goes back to and any longtime listeners to me and Lucas. Um, what used to drive me nuts about Matt Nagy was whenever you would compare t- uh, Tariq Cohn to Tyreek Hill. Because that kind of put him in a package. That kind of limited what he can actually do. Whereas, like, dude, you have Tariq play in a certain role, in a certain formation, in a certain package, and like, dude, just find ways to grow plays within that. You know what I mean? yeah. Yes. And, and that's what the pack. That's what the Packers do really well. And that's what that makes their offense so damn predictable. Because you know, Luke Getz. We have to be able to talk about that. Um, there is so many times, and I noticed it even in the second half against us last year they didn't change personnel like at all in the second half, No, where they did, they did not run the same plays at any point. It was constantly something different, something different. All these guys that were on the field knew how many different possibilities, how many different formations they could run out of just by those guys that are on the field. And it saves on false starts saves on delay games like it it saves from justin fields your second year quarterback being a little bit overwhelmed to making sure the right people are on the on the field at the right time like it just being being simple isn't being stupid being simple is just knowing that you can get just as much production out of what you have on the field compared to sending out different random subs that really don't add anything to the final score
1: yeah and I mean, to be fair, we are prefacing this with giving the coaching staff the benefit of the doubt. If they start acting like Jagoffs, it's going to be instant callouts. Um,
0: oh yeah, no, without a doubt. Like I just, I, I I'm really like, high on Luke Getzi, but like, you, you got to show us something, buddy.
1: I just feel like the history of what this, what we've seen from this offense, that's what it is. It's hey, we're gonna run. Uh, here's our here's our six play package. You know, like just give it Novocaine; it always works. Who is that, Denzel? And um. And uh, remember the Titans, I run six plays, give it Nova time. It always works. Like, that's it. Like uh, they have their basic concepts that they're always going to run their bread and butter that it's like, Hey, we're just going to out execute you. And then they just build off of that. Okay. This week they've been really, you know, DBs have been really selling on the post. Now we're going to run it out like you know what i mean like it's like little shit like that that needs to happen it doesn't need to be monumental shifts to your offense within each week or from half to half or quarter to quarter like you just need to fucking figure out what the the defense is trying to do to stop you and just combat that in a very simple way like i I just don't um it's not fucking rocket science that's why i call a dumb football guy because you look i mean all these guys uh Harbaugh and, and Shanahan, like he's a little bit more of a scientist looking guy, but either way, like older Shanahan, like those were dumb football guys, you know, Um, that's what they were considered, obviously, very smart offensive minds. So that's just my, my thought process. Uh, I prefer that approach. There are, you know, there are the Andy Reeds and Bill Walsh, Bill Walsh's of the world, but still they, they build up their credibility. um Well, before they started trying to do all this fucking crazy stuff, you know, they were productive forever.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's a lot of experience comes with guys like that. You know what I mean? They didn't just become a head coach three years of being an offensive coordinator because they, you know, showed out. Andy Reed was in green Bay for fucking ages. You know what I mean? Like, and that's, that's a guy, Andy Reed. And the reason why, what makes him so special is like, he just, he can identify talent. He can identify like one thing that one guy does insanely well. Like he doesn't need a team of complete football players. He needs a team of guys that can all come together to do what he wants. You know, he's kind of, he's kind of like Belichickian in that sense because Belichick's the same way you don't need, you know, it's nice when you have a Randy Moss, but you don't need that. You can have a Dion branch, Troy Brown and fucking uh, Wes Welker and make it work. You know what I mean? Like
1: what they did this off season, man. They were like, Hey, Tyree Hill's gone. We're not going to replace him. Okay, we got Sky Moore as our deep threat. We have Juju as someone that can pick up underneath. Like they're not just trying to replace him. It's not like oh, okay, Taylor Gabriel leaves. Let's replace him with some random fucking dude that runs a four three forty just and and that's going to be you know what I mean. Like he's going to run the exact same uh, routes as as Taylor Gabriel. He's going to play the same role in the same offense. Like no, like y- you need to understand what you have um and and make it fucking work and it's just something he didn't do but now we're turning so, into podcast
0: no 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 straight up i actually like this because i i really like where this is going because i mean dude honestly it's minicamp what else are we gonna fucking talk about right now yes yeah, um true. i just watched moneyball the other day and what we're talking about right now kind of reminds me of them explaining fucking the entire process like you don't replace tyree Hill, you know what i mean you don't try to find one person to replace tyree Hill, you just try to try to replace the production you know what i mean like you don't try to like you replace it with speed. Like in in the movie, you don't you don't replace fucking John you don't replace Johnny Damon. You replace someone who didn't get, get on base and have similar production to Johnny Damon. You know what I mean? Like you don't you don't look for the sexy type type stuff. Like you
1: don't have one mold and then try to fit that mold every single time. Exactly. You, like you, you just create new fucking molds exactly like you you find someone who can give you production you find
0: someone who can score you points because at the end of the day that's all that fucking matters as long as you can score points in one way or the other similar to Moneyball, as long as you can get on base like that's all that matters in the long run because getting on base scores you runs, having speed down the field for a guy like patrick mahomes gives you touchdowns and gives you yardage like that's all you need to replace it doesn't matter who's eating the
1: most all that matters is everyone's eating yeah no 100 percent um and i just like the I will say about OTAs and just in general, like, we've already seen Charles Tillman back. Um, who Was it Richard Dent? I think one of the pass rushers came back. Like, we're already seeing old players being welcomed back. And I feel like that's something that kind of got shut out by Emory, I want to say, um, in that era. When, when, like, they just stopped letting people come back. There was, like, some weird thing. Um, and it even kind of was perpetua- perpetuated with Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. Like, you didn't, you saw sometimes, but like they're making a, it a real emphasis to come in and, and bring in these guys that were successful before, especially with the DBs and the peanut punch. I know we've heard about Quan Brisker, your boy has been causing fumbles. Kyler Gordon had like two interceptions in, in OTAs and stuff. So, we're hearing reports about guys that are pretty good, but I know. I don't want to steal it from you, but I know you were really upset about the Tevin Jenkins thing, so you want me to play the clip and then just have you react to it? Oh, yeah. I completely forgot we were going to talk about that. Um, yeah, I've been looking before, at this.
0: Before that, though, um, Emery is a fucking jagoff, and and um, him, him just basically killing the entire era before him is a big reason why players didn't want anything to do with him, uh, uh, i.e., Letting Erlocker walk for nothing, letting Tillman leave, you know, like basically just breaking
1: up that entire fucking band. But yeah, anyway,
0: continue because, uh, difference Ur-
1: between Duke Coughlin and Phil Emery, and this is Phil Emery, this is Duke Coughlin. Like, oh, dude,
0: sorry. fucking 100. That is an incredible bobblehead. Yeah, I got like, it. Dude,
1: I, I, wa- I, I throw out that
0: fucking Joakim Noah energy as much as I can, like in everything I do. But anyway, play this quote cool because I want to get worked up here at the end. Okay, let's see, let's see, let's see if it comes through. It's like
1: you, you want that. I I play wherever they need me. Get in where you fit in. How do you How do you weigh the prestige of left tackle versus wanting to just find a place where you can contribute? Uh, I already know an answer that was coming. So basically, you're saying, how do I weigh? Yeah, ask it again? Sorry. Left tackle is like the premier position on the offensive line. That's like the glory position on the offensive line, if there is one. Is is that something that – do you care more about just finding a place where you can make a contribution than you do about insisting and trying to be a left tackle? Yeah, that was was better for me. Sorry. But, uh, yeah, for me, it's more about where can I be the best for the team and what can I do and what certain position is it going to elevate the whole offense. Me, that's that's my personal like thing about it. And for anyone that didn't get to hear the reporter fully, he pretty much said, How do you weigh the prestige of playing left tackle versus being put at right tackle? Duke, the floor is yours.
0: Okay, so I want to start this just by saying that Tevin Jenkins is a consummate professional with how he answered this question. He could have easily really jumped back at this reporter, and I do not know who this reporter is. I'm sure at some point I'm going to figure it out. If someone um, knows, please let us know. Yeah, I, I would because I would love to know who this is because I'll at them on Twitter about this. I, I genuinely don't care because this had to have been one of the more ignorant questions that I've I've heard easily of this offseason. You have Tevin Jenkins up here who is basically saying, Yes, I'm moving the right tackle. That's what my coach told me to do. I want to succeed at any position I can on the field, anywhere they want to put me. That is like what you want from an NFL offensive lineman. And what this guy decides to take with this is ask him about the premier position of left tackle, like almost like completely devaluing what a right tackle does on a football field. Okay. So I'm not going to sit here and ignore the elephant in the room about how much more left tackles get paid than right tackles because they cover the quarterback's blind side. We've all seen the fucking movie. We've all seen Michael Orr. that's great stuff. You know what I mean? Like left tackles are important. We fucking get it. But Guys like Ryan Ramchek, Brian O'Neill, Lane Johnson, Taylor Morton, Jack Coughlin, George Fant, Rob Jack Havenstein, Kyle Collins, all at right tackle, Trenton Brown, Penae so- uh, Sowell, Morgan Moses, Mike McGlinchey. These are all top-tier right tackles in the NFL, and these are all guys on the offensive line who might be better than their left, left tackle predecessor as it stands right now. Ryan Remchek in particular, he, was, he basically takes on the power rusher of any, any NFL team. The way I like to think of it is um, anyone who was a fan of Khalil Mack this past season or throughout his entire career, guess what? The, the tackle who is almost always blocking Khalil Mack on an offensive line is the right tackle. That is one of the most – tackle, regardless of where it is on the field, is one of the most difficult offensive line positions in all football. That is why tackles consistently get moved inside to either guard positions because while I'm not trying to devalue what guards do, they do pulling, they move around, they get to linebackers, whatever. They do not have to deal with the edge in the NFL. So to try to say that Tevin Jenkins is somewhat not playing a premier position – I it blows me away it genuinely blows me away just because you were not getting paid as much as a left tackle um, and I also like that this reporter added that if there is a premier position on the offensive line as if the offensive line is not the most important position set in the NFL besides maybe quarterback like it, it just absolutely kills me there are significant significantly talented players at right tackle like they act like it is just a throwaway position that anybody can play there. I can assure you that is just not the case. It is it is absolutely ridiculous. Um I would take any of the guys that I named at right tackle in a fucking heartbeat over most over at least half left tackles in the league. Just because of what they do in both the running game and what they do in the rushing game. Because right tackle right tackles are actually more consistently the better run blocking of the two, but they also have to have Um, they have to be able to set an edge as an effective offensive lineman. And and all the guys that I named have been able to do that. So to say that Tevin Jenkins isn't playing a premier position when they're playing a tackle in the NFL on the offensive side of the football is
1: just, it's ludicrous to me. Well, I mean, I think there's a couple things that I can side with you you on. But first, you were wrong about something that's actually in your favor. Like, look at the contract values of a couple of those guys you named. Ryan Ramchak. Almost twenty million a year. Nineteen point two. Brian O'Neill on the Vikings, eighteen point five million a year. Um, Lane Johnson on the Eagles, eighteen million a year. Braden Smith seventeen five a year. Um, George, you know. So, so you listen. My biggest thing is a premier pos, a premier position only gets that label because of how those positions are typically paid when you excel at that um, position. Offensive line is not. There's nothing premier in terms of showtime about the offensive line. They're not a flashy position. They're not a popular position. Um, But at the end of the day, if you play at a high level, you are a premier player. So – Left tackle, like, premier players and edge rushers is what made left tackles a fucking premier position because there was a huge need there. So at the end of the day, like, I think I think all that shit is insane. I think the biggest thing that bothers me, not even, like, the the shade he throws, I I think it's just how he asked the question. Like, I think you could have easily gotten the same response and asking the question totally different, right? Because what was Tevin's response? I'm just going to get in where I fit in. Like, any, anything I can do to make this offense be great, um, I will. So why not just ask, hey, you know, you were, at, you were slotted as a left tackle with the last regime. Um, do you prefer left tackle or do you, like, do you mind moving back to right tackle? You would have gotten the same fucking answer. To me, it's the condescending prickness of, like, hey, you were once labeled as a premier position player and now you're no longer labeled that. How do you feel about that? And realistically, I would add more respect for the reporter if he phrased it that way. Cause then at least he was trying to get that smoke right away. And like he had he Tevin Jenkins asked even asked him to rephrase the question because he's like, What do you mean? Like, did you did you really just ask me that? Did you just ask me if like I'm I'm a piece of shit now because I play right tackle instead of left? Um, really bad job by the reporter. And I I do like your tweet. I don't know if I actually I looked at it, I don't know if I clicked the like button, but I do like your tweet being like there's a lot of people out there that um, I see do great work just on this app alone. That would ask a lot better questions than that. That was a dog shit question. Um, yeah,
0: and like I, I do want to make the point because I'm sure some people will get the idea that I'm like defending Tevin from getting like uh, hardball questions because like I'm not a fan of softball questions either. Um, I'm just a fan of being able to accurately get your point across. You know what I mean? Like that was just such a backhanded type comment to get a fucking answer out of him, Whereas you could, you know, kind of phrase it. Like you said, Lucas, like you played left tackle last year, you're playing right tackle this year. What is the position that you prefer? Like, how do you feel about moving there? You know, how, how do you feel, you know, does, does this feel like a downgrade to you? Even, even if you would yeah, ask would it like asked, that, you know man. what I mean? That's I guarantee. I guarantee Tevin would have jumped back and said, no, I'm just trying to do what's best for my foot. What's best for the football
1: team. He phrased it. Like a lot of fucking, the pricks on Twitter, to be honest, like the, the people that we all know who they are, they come off as super condescending. He was just like, You are no longer a premier guy. How do you like? How do you feel about that? Is what he was insinuating. Like, do you, you exact I would have fucking rather heard him say, Did do you think this means the regime lost faith in you? Um, as a left tackle? I would have been fucking happy with that. Better, even like Because that's, like, just the way he said it, it was like, I'm not willing to actually say it, but I'm definitely going to make sure, like, I'm going to phrase it in a way that says this is the way it is. There's no room for negotiation there. Like, this is how it is. You, like, left tackle is the premier position. Now you're on the outside looking in. How do you, like, it's just like. If
0: if you want to throw a fastball, throw a fucking fastball. Like, that's that's, that's more or less what I'm getting at. I just hate that he kind of, like, put – Tevin in this weird position to be like what what the fuck did this guy just say you know what I mean and like I don't know it, it it completely devalued every right tackle in the league with the way that question was asked I guess that's that's probably what bothered me the most because like I you know I know you're talking about salaries of these right tackles and that's because a lot of teams uh, really appreciate what a right a great right tackle can do for you you know what I mean like Philly with the left the issues they've had at left tackle in the past few years, they could probably put Lane Johnson there, and he'd probably be pretty fucking good at left tackle. But they don't because they like it what he does at right tackle. Same with Ryan Remchek, dude. You can move him to left tackle, but they seem to really like what he fucking does at right tackle. So to completely devalue what what a right a great right tackle can do for you is like really
1: I think what bothered me the most because it's like yeah yeah, and if you really look at what the Bears are trending towards doing. Right now, right tackle does seem like the more premier position. Like if you were paying attention about how they're going to go run heavy and how right tackles are, you know, usually your first line, uh, your 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 aggressor on on the offensive line in terms of the running game. That's what you want your right side for. That's the strong side of your formation. A lot of times it's on the right side. So it's like, it's almost like, hey, if we're really going to be this run heavy team with play action, you're asking him to do a lot fucking more than you're going to be asking for to do. You're just going to ask Borum to make sure to seal the outside um, when Justin Fields is rolling opposite of you. And you're going to be taking that, that major blunt front of the face. Right. So um, I just think it's wild, dude. I, It's funny. Cause that whole, I don't know if you, you remember the snitch tag fiasco that happened like, Oh my God. A God. Week or ago. But that's what this reminds me of. Like, I don't You can fucking tag whatever reporter on any time we say, we don't know who it is, but I'd have no problem saying it to him. And I, I, so please snitch tag all you want. Um yeah, no, please. Yeah,
0: me, I I I highly recommend you switch you snitch tag cuz like snitch tag is like the softest sh- not, not the act of doing it, but the act of getting upset over snitch tagging is the softest shit ever. If we ever talk about anybody on this show, tag them. Gladly like we We will gladly address it even if it's a fucking player like we will gladly talk about it with them you know what I mean Well I feel
1: like we treat everyone with respect that's why like we're not like other than Matt Nagy really like we're not sitting here being like Oh this guy fucking sucks or this guy fucking sucks and then the next week being like oh we love him it's like I feel like we're pretty objective about that stuff Hopefully that comes through to the listeners you know
0: we're fucking honest, dude. We're on we are on brand with who we are. I will support know?
1: every football take I have ever made on this app, um, and own it. So yeah, I have no problem if you report someone in it.
0: Yeah. And I mean if I'm totally wrong, I'm totally cool with admitting that too. I'm not gonna sit around and pretend like I've been right the entire
1: time. Yeah, we might need to uh wrap up. There's like I know there's tornado warnings, but my Wi-Fi is getting real sketchy. There's so no, much. You, been you're, we've been, we've, been, we've so been, much roll, been hitting my building right now.
0: We've been rolling on about Jack Offrey for a while. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure the listeners are appreciating us cutting it here. I and mean, we've been going for about an hour anyway, but yeah. Yeah. So this is a good spot to stop. Um, This has been the Barely There podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, um, Anchor. Subscribe to us on YouTube if you want to chat. Come into the chat or whatever, you know. Ask us ask us your questions directly. You know, we always appreciate that. We always like shooting it with any fans of the show. Um, if you try chatting with us on Twitter through that live feed, we will not get those comments, unfortunately. So YouTube is going to be your best bet. Um, so if any of you have been sending comments to the Twitter, we're sorry. We just, we have no way of seeing them guys. You know, it's just, it's, just not going to work, but um, yeah. Try to uh, give us a rating. Um, thanks, thanks again for listening, guys. I know me and Lucas are jagos, and we're just kind of looking for stuff to talk about during the off season. But uh, really appreciate all the support, man. We've been seeing those listens. We appreciate what you guys have been putting in for us.
1: Yeah, we might even have to go to a every other week format, um, because it's just. I mean, we always find something to talk about. I guess we'll figure that out as it comes on. But we do love you guys and appreciate you guys for listening
0: yeah yeah for sure i mean and more or less just look at it as right now if we were to take a week off just maybe don't hold it against us like i mean lucas's dms are open if you really want to call him a jag off for not recording for a week you can my, mine are wide open as well you can you can straight call me out on the timeline i
1: love that shit dude i got uh, a, premium, I mean, a premium zoom subscription i'll give you the zoom link so you can yell at me and see my face if you really want that
0: yeah no yelling at lucas and seeing his like immediate reaction in his face is actually like top five favorite moments for me personally so highly recommend that dude I i can handle this shit too i'm down in chicago all summer come find me on a saturday tell me how fucking shitty i am it's cool um but anyway i uh i got nothing more bear down guys thanks for listening
1: bear down